Claude, I was going to say that joke this morning. I thought you were going to try to one-up me. No, no, no. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Please join me, though, for prayer. Lord Jesus, it is your desire for us to live. This desire for us is as old as time itself. Make it new to us. Teach us the good news. Amaze us with your love. Make believers out of us. In your name we pray. Amen. From Mark chapter 1, verse 24. The demon said to Jesus, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? What a question. You already know the answer. Well, yes, I did come to destroy you. That's why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus came to destroy sin, death, and the devil. The Apostle Paul tells us, the end will come when Jesus completely destroys every ruler and every authority and in every power, the last being death itself. Well, the demons know this. They know their time is short. That's why they ask the question not so much because they don't know the answer, but in asking the question, on calling on Jesus' name, they're trying to actually gain an upper hand. By saying Jesus' name hometown, and title, the demons are trying to exert power over Jesus. They say, we know who you are. By having his personal information, they think that they can control Jesus. And all of us can understand this. If you have someone's identity, you can exploit them. We call it identity theft. How many of you remember that Super Bowl commercial a few years ago where Richard Davis, CEO of LifeLock Incorporated, said that his system of, of securing your identity was so foolproof that he was willing to give out his social security number in front of everyone. You're not, you're, you remember this. His social security number, 457-55-5462. Well, about a year ago, or actually a few months ago in May, actually more than a few months ago, almost a year ago, um, a class action suit was taken against him because so many people were able to use his social security number against him that they said that LifeLock Corporation is just, that whole thing's a fraud. Can you believe that? I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, right? I mean, here he's guaranteed, and then he has to go in front of the TV and say, well, yeah, people did steal my <laughs> identity. And so they sued him for that. The demons think that they have Jesus' identity, though they know who he is. And so by saying who he is, his title, they're trying to take, get the upper hand on Jesus. But can they? No. He's the son of God. He's the anointed one of God. When he was baptized, God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When Jesus goes to his disciples and say, follow me, they immediately follow him. When Jesus, as we heard, comes into the synagogue and teaches, he teaches as one with authority. Can the demons, do the demons have authority over Jesus? No way. Instead, Jesus says, be silent 
Or I kind of like it to say, shut up. Come out of him. And immediately, the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek, causing all the people to be amazed. And they asked each other, what's this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. The point then of this passage is simple. Jesus has authority. He has authority over disciples. He has authority um, over demons. He has authority when he teaches. Jesus has authority. That's the point. So that's the point. We could probably go home now. (laughs) And that would be enough for truth. And yet I can't help but stop at that question the demons asked of Jesus. Listen again. What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't that the question that we ask as well? What do you want with us, Jesus? What is your will for us, Jesus? What's your desire for me, for you, Jesus? What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? That's the question that all of us ask. I'm convinced that's the question that drove millions of people to buy the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Right? Tell us, Jesus, what your purpose is. Tell me what you want with us. Well, I could save all of you $15, so if you want to pay me the $15, I'll tell you what Jesus wants. And what Jesus simply wants for you and with you is this, he wants you to have life. He wants you to live. John 1 tells us, in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Or John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Or John 10, I came that they may have life, and have it abundantly. Or John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Life. Or at the end of John, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing in him, you may have life in his name. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The answer is, he wants you to live. He wants to give you life. He wants you to be with him forever. That's what he wants. That's what he wants for you. And yet if we're honest with ourselves, I think we're more like the demon-possessed man than we would let on. We think Jesus has come to take away our lives. We think he wants to take away all our fun, all our time, all our money. And so we ask with the demon as well, have you come to destroy our lives, our freedom, our fun? When I was new to the faith, and I've shared this before, I was so happy, I was so free. Jesus loved me. Eternal life was mine through the cross. I was claimed in the waters of baptism. He forgave me in the, in the, in the Lord's Supper is for me. It was so wonderful, so nice. I'm so free. I can share it with other people. 
And within the first few months, I told more people about Jesus than probably every month after that combined. But then over time, Christians got to me. <laughs> they started telling me all the rules of things I have to do. Rules on how to pray. Rules on how to read scripture. Rules on how much to give. Rules on, on who to socialize with. It was terrible because they backed everything up with scripture. And all these rules then is, is what I had to do. And so I was an 18-year-old who basically had retreated from the whole world, and all I ever did then was hang out with, with leaders of churches. Talk about having no life. I was on the fast track to become a bishop then. Sorry about that. Completely retreated from the world. No. Or Steinbeck says, at that point, I was triumphant over sins I never committed. <laughs> Is that what Jesus has for us? Is that what Jesus wants from us? Does he want us to retreat? Does he want to kill the mood of the party, of the life that's free in him? No. Jesus wants us to live, to have life. In fact, the thing that needs to die is, is this kind of thinking. The idea that God would love us based on what we do, that needs to die. The idea that God wants to make our lives miserable, that idea needs to die. The idea that only the law can make people holy, that needs to die. All these ideas need to die because they don't come from God, but they come from the devil. And Jesus has to exercise that to get rid of those thoughts so that we might live. Jesus wants us to live. But how? How does he give us this life? How can Jesus destroy sin, death, and the devil while also giving to us life? How can he cast out a demon while saving the possessed man? How can Jesus strike with the authority of, of heaven while also strike with the vulnerability of love? How can he save us and yet give us life and cause us to live? Well, the cross is the answer, of course. Listen to John 12. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, will be exercised. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, will draw all men, all people to myself. The cross then is the answer. The cross defeats sin, death, and the devil. Because Jesus has authority. On the cross, the devil is lashing out with all his anger, all his, his, his vile filth. And yet, does the devil have any authority over Jesus? No. Devil, do your worst. Try to take the upper hand. Put Jesus into the grave. 
But does the devil have any authority over Jesus? No. And on the third day, Jesus rises saying, you have no authority over me, death. You have no authority over me, devil. You have no authority over me because Jesus is the Son of God. That's our hope of, of resurrection, of course, when, when we die. That death doesn't have the last word. Jesus does. Jesus has authority over sin, death, and the devil. So the cross shows that. But how does it show us love as well? How can it teach us that God really loves us? Well, that's simple. I've said this before, that all of us would like, we would all love a world of, of, of grassy hills and, and waves that lap up on the shore. We'd all love that kind of world. God loves the world that kills his son, that rejects his son. God loves that world so much. On the cross, Jesus is willing to give up all that authority he has, lay it aside, in order to say how much he loves you, so that you might know that you will have life in him. On Wednesday, I talked with the confirmation students about the various atonement theories. We talk about that in confirmation. You're going, well, what was it? No, it's, I promise. We were talking about first the ransom theory. And I asked the question, why did Jesus have to die? And did he have to die to pay off the devil? You know, his blood shed to satisfy the devil so that we, God gets us back. We talked about the, the substitution theory, where God's angry, the penal substitution theory. God's angry at us, and, and Jesus dies to take that wrath upon himself, and God's no longer angry with us. So I asked the confirmation students which one they liked. It's funny how many, most of them said, oh, we like the one paying off the devil. And I said, why? And they go, well, because I don't like the idea of God being angry. And so they're very honest. I like that. A few like the idea of God being angry, and they like the order of it and justice of it. And so we're going back and forth. But I said, let's look at it a different way. Let's look at this from the, the, the perspective of love. And what I meant is this way. I, I said, um, what if Jesus' real crime is that he loves us so much that he's willing to come down and be born among us and live among us and hang out with the people that no one else would love. What well, his real crime is that he's willing to uh, forgive prostitutes, willing to touch lepers. What well, his real crime is, is that he's willing to go and say what no one else is willing to say and then say on top of that that God forgives them. Isn't that his real cry? Isn't that what drove the religious people nuts, that Jesus was willing to forgive sinners and to say that he had the authority to do that? And yet, that's what love does. Love reaches out and, and touches that which is untouchable. Love goes into the darkest places to bring out those who are lost. Love goes and loves those people that no one else would love. And love is willing to bear all things, even the cross so that we might live forever with him. You should have seen the faces on the confirmation students. Their, their, their faces lit up. I mean, it was just amazing. And, and we had read the, the crucifixion story. 
And, and they had said, you know, in their whole life, they really they knew Jesus died, and they knew he died on the cross, but they had never read that story because they don't go to Good Friday services. And so hearing what happened to Jesus and, and what he went through to love him. I mean, they, again, they lit up. It was great. And so I asked them, which of the three theories they liked the best? And they go, oh, we all like the last one. I go, good. I go, no, the others, though. You know how it all works? Mystery. But love's got to be part of that equation. Jesus, when he's lifted up, casts out the devil, authority of heaven, but also in the love of, of dying for us, draws us to himself. That's what love does. There's a man who was a young man, 22, named, named Curtis, who was working at a grocery clerk, or as a grocery clerk at a store. Another clerk, Brenda, was 26, and, and he, she caught his, his gaze, and he was just smitten by her. And so he got the courage up to say, hey, would you like to go on a date with me? And she said, I'd love to, but I can't. I have, I have two children, and I can't afford a babysitter. He said, that's no problem. I'll pay for the babysitter. Or you can bring him along. She goes, no, no, can't bring him along. Well, okay, then, then I'll pay for the babysitter. Smart guy, you know, I mean, this is good. So she agrees. He shows up to the house, and he meets the two children. First children was a little girl who was just as cute as a button. And the second one um, was a little boy who was born a paraplegic and born with Down syndrome. And when Curtis looked at him, his face lit up. And he said to Brenda, he said, Brenda, take him along. Forget the babysitter. We'll pay her anyway, but let's take her along. Let's take these kids on the date with us. And they did. And throughout the date, the kids just loved Curtis, right? I mean, I mean of course they would. They, uh, they love a man who actually cared for them. Children love that. Well, afterwards, Brenda, after the date, Brenda knew this is the man she wanted to marry. And a year later, they were married. And he adopted both those children. I mean, isn't that what love does? Love reaches down and bears all things. But what happened to this man, Curtis? Well, and Brenda? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Kurt Warner... That's who he is. He became the starting quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. And he's starting today in the Super Bowl. He's still married to Brenda, and they have more kids. And he loves all of them. So for all you Steeler fans out there, At this point, I don't care who wins. I just want Kurt to do well. I mean, he, he loved. He loved that woman. He loved those children. That love opened them up, brought life to a family, brought life to a woman who was forsaken at that point, who had very little future. His love opened her up, changed everything. Her love for him opened him up. 
already graduated from college, and then you know that whole story too of how he finally came to the, the perfect pros. But the point is, that's what love does. Love opens up a future. What does Jesus, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus' simple answers, I want you to live. I want you to believe. I want you to know how much God loves you. I want to set you free from sin, death, and the devil. That's all Jesus has ever wanted. And he'll do whatever it takes to accomplish it. If that means being born in a lowly manger, so be it. If it means living among sinners, so be it. If it means dying on the cross, he will do it. If it means being raised from the dead, of course. Or giving the Holy Spirit so that we would not be abandoned. And that we could tell others about this good news. He gives the Holy Spirit. If it means jumping into water and claiming you in the waters of baptism, or jumping into bread and wine for you, Jesus will do it. He will do whatever it takes to have you, to make a real believer out of you, so that you would know and believe and trust that God Almighty, what he wants for you is simply to live with him. Talk about a new teaching with authority. The authority of heaven and the vulnerability of love. In Jesus' name, amen.